Appreciate that. Hey, my name is Ross. Welcome to Centennial Church. So glad that you're here this morning. Many are traveling out of town. Anybody getting ready to travel in the next few days? Uh, we will be going to visit family, but thanks for being here. If you're our guest this morning, a special welcome to you. There's a little connection card, hopefully, in front of the seats uh, in front of you. We also have that connection card on our CC mobile app. If you want to download that app, you can get that there as well, but there's a place for you to put prayer requests. Again, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, it's really full on this side today and lighter on this side, um, so... Uh, anyway, just observations that I make from up here, hello, uh, but glad all of you are here. Let me tell you one thing uh, that's slightly disappointing that someone is here this morning, and that's the Whelans. Jay and Carolina were supposed to have a baby, on, and I was excited to show a picture, and then Jay shows up at 8.30, and I'm like, wah, wah. Not that I wasn't excited to see him, but you know, obviously. So anyway, be in prayer. Uh, Tuesday is the day of induction, and uh, someone sit close to her and maybe have the car cooled off if in the middle of this, you know, need to rush. Anybody a doctor, nurse? Um, anyway, so glad that you're here. The other thing that I needed to say this morning is if you are a guest uh, or perhaps a newcomer, we're having a family meeting immediately after church, and so we want all of our members to stay we're asking you to stay. We are requiring you to stay. The doors will be locked to members. But uh, now, if you're our guest, you're welcome to stay if you would like. But um, members, we're encouraging you to stay. We have ordered a bunch of pizza. And uh, we also have some babysitters that will be here for the kids. And uh, if your kids are in here right now, which many of them are, you can take them back during the meeting. I'll have some more instructions for you on that later. I'm getting all uh, ahead of myself here. But uh, so anyway, please stay for the family meeting, if you can. Was there anything else that I needed to say before we open up God's word? I think I covered it. Okay, so if you would, um, and kids, we're so glad that you're in here as well. Um, we'd love to do these family services, not just because it's summer and your teachers are totally exhausted, though they may be, uh, but it's important for you to learn what it's like to worship um, in the church family not just segregated off where we can't see you, but to see how we celebrate the Lord's table and hear the word of God and uh, hear scripture and uh, watch moms and dads and, and, and grandparents and friends um, sing to Jesus. So we're glad you're here. With that said, would you all join me, stand up as Jill Hessen is going to read our scripture for us this morning. Go ahead and stand with me. It will be on the screen as well, but Jill will read our passage and then pray for our time in God's word, okay? Good morning. This is John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, 
Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking, taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had not been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met, met him. When the Jews were, were there in her house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where, you, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some said to them, to him, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away this stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are God. We thank you that 
you understand um, humanity uh, as we see in this passage. Pray that you would open our hearts and open our ears to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, that's a long passage, isn't it? That's a long story, and it actually goes on a little longer, but uh, thank you, Jill. And uh, kids, I want to ask you, I want to involve you here as we start the message, a little Sunday school trivia, a little Sunday school answer here. Who is the hero of the Bible? Deanna, you are a child, but too old as a child. Yes, Jesus. Jesus is the hero, right? That's always the right answer in Sunday school class as the teacher asks a question. The hero of the Bible is Jesus. Um, Jesus is God's son, and the story of Scripture opens. Verse 1 says it starts with, in the beginning, God. God begins the story. He writes the story. And at the beginning pages of Scripture, uh, God Totally sufficient in himself, not lonely, but totally sufficient in himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, creates man, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, uh, though they have this perfect environment and these perfect relationships with one another and with God, they mess things up. And from then on, in the story of Genesis all the way to Revelation, God is recreating. He is finishing this story. And just like in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you have God and creation and humanity and perfection, you also have this tree of life. You have another tree as well, but you have this tree of life which sits between these rivers in the Middle East. And because of man's rebellion, the rest of the story through the Bible is God fixing this rebellion and trying to put creation back right because of sin. And in the middle of the story, God sends his son Jesus as the hero of the story, and you have a tree of death, the cross, that becomes a tree of life. That God enters into the story in Jesus to forgive us of our sins, to pay judgment, to pay the penalty of sin, and to put things right between us and God and in creation. And at the end of the story, in Revelation, chapters 21, 22, guess what reappears? A tree of life by a river of living water. And there's not just this garden, but there's this beautiful city that has come together beautifully that God has recreated. That's the end of the story. But the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story all centers on the hero, Jesus. And that's what we've been trying to do in this summer series called Encountering Jesus, is to refocus us on the hero of the story. Christianity is not about commandments. It's not a philosophy. It's not just some worldview, but it is about Jesus. It is about God's Son who is recreating, who is resurrecting who is putting things back right. And so if you want to investigate, if you want to go deeper into Christianity, the place to look is at the person of Jesus. And that's what the Gospel of John gives us, is these one-on-one encounters, other places in the New Testament as well. But John gives us these intimate encounters of Jesus with the people that he has created, the people that he loves, the people that he's come to die for and come out of the tomb for. 
So we have been wanting to focus our eyes on Jesus, to encounter afresh or perhaps encounter for the first time Jesus. And this morning, we have this classic passage where we see Jesus do a resurrection, or some might call it a resuscitation, of Lazarus that is a prequel, that is a taste test of his resurrection, and guess what? Our resurrection as well. Kids, how many of you know this? We celebrate the resurrection, we celebrate Easter, not just once a year, but every day and every Sunday we gather because the resurrection has happened, and that's prequel, that's, that's foreseen here first in Lazarus and then in Jesus' perfect resurrection, the first fruits of our own resurrection. And that happens in this scene that is filled with pain and grief and questions and turmoil. And Jesus has a plan, as Scott prayed. He has a plan, and he's going to put things back right. So our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in Jesus who makes these claims, who gives these promises and and says resurrection will come. Okay, so here's the bottom line this morning. And we got a lot of work to do. But here's the bottom line this morning. Jesus, in Lazarus and Mary and Martha, in the pain of this moment in John chapter 11, Jesus is not oblivious to, uncaring about, or powerless in our personal pain. Jesus is not oblivious to, uncaring about, or powerless in our personal pain, trials, and tragedy. So quickly, here's where we're going this morning, okay? We don't have time to cover every verse, but here's what we're going to see. We're going to see here three things. We're going to see that Jesus tarries, Jesus' truth claim, and Jesus' tears, okay? Jesus tarries, Jesus' truth claim, and Jesus' tears. First of all, Jesus tarries, okay? The first verses of chapter 11, let's look at them again. Uh, Beginning in verse 3, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, let's think about these verses for a second. Jesus tarries. That's a T word for saying he delayed, okay? Jesus delayed. Here are these intimate friends of his, uh, probably some of his closest friends. There's a story about Jesus and Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 where Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha is scurrying around making preparations uh, for lunch. And multiple times we see Jesus staying in this house and they're probably a pretty well-to-do family to host him and to host other people that are coming around to see Jesus. It's close to Jerusalem. And so there's multiple indicators that Jesus is tight with this family, that he loves them. Lazarus and his sisters. And so what's odd, okay, first of all, let me me say this. In chapter 11, we see, by my count, seven indicators that Jesus is really tight with his family, okay? Look at them with me here. First of all, in verse 3, 
they say, he whom you love is ill. They're coming to Jesus and say, Lazarus is a guy whom you love. You, should, you care about him. Come and help. Uh, verse 5, now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her sister Lazarus. Here's, again, this indication that this is not just some random family, but these are people that Jesus has spent time with that he dearly loves. Verse 11, our friend Lazarus. And then when he gets on the scene, verse 33, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You see here his compassion, his love, and verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him after Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the New Testament. And then verse 38, then Jesus deeply, then Jesus deeply moved again begins to act. He loves this family, but it's strange because if you look from verse 5 to verse 6, Jesus, this is perplexing. Look at verse 5. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So what do you anticipate he's going to do? He's going to do. Go and help, right? He loves them. So what is he going to do? But verse 6 says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer where he was. Why in the world? Jesus, what are you doing? You love this family, and yet this guy is, is dead, dying, whatever, and you're not immediately running and going to help. It's so odd. He loves them, and yet what does he do? He stays longer. He delays, even though he loves this family. And how many of you know that God doesn't work on our timetable? That he delays. Even though he loves us, so, transition, not but, it doesn't say but or yet, Jesus loves us, yet, he stayed longer. It says, Jesus loves us, so, he stayed two days longer. What gives? Jesus, why? Why would you do this? I don't understand why you would delay. Why would you not deliver and deliver quickly, now? And if you haven't experienced this with God, this delay, then you are alone in this room this morning because most of us have said, God, do it and do it now. Have you heard of the man who prayed for patience? He said, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. It'll take a second for a couple of you. Hey, you get it? Okay. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you waiting? And two days. And if this wasn't hard for Mary and Martha, how much more for us who live in an Amazon Prime culture? I mean, if it's not here in two days, I'm ticked off. Like, get it to my doorstep. Jesus, come now. I need you now. Don't delay. And yet Jesus tarries. He doesn't work on our timetable. But what Jesus has, beyond and above all of us, is that he comes into this situation, he comes into this tragedy with all knowledge and with all power. The sisters don't know what's going on. They're perplexed, they're sad, they are brokenhearted. But Jesus knows he has all knowledge and he has all power and so, according to verse 4, he delays so that his glory might be seen, so his glory might be manifested. 
How many of you know, I haven't said this in this series yet, unfortunately, but the Gospel of John gives us seven signs, seven signs, seven miracles in the Gospel of John. We didn't look at the first one, we looked at some of them, but how many of you know the first sign that Jesus does is in John chapter 2, and it's changing the water to wine. You know what the scene of that miracle, that sign was? A wedding. And it's just, I never thought about this, never realized this until this week studying this, but what's the seventh sign? The first sign is a, is a wedding scene, and the seventh sign is a funeral. And in both instances, chapter 2 as well as chapter 11, John tells us that Jesus does these signs, he does this mir- these miracles, that his glory might be manifested. That he, people would see that in a celebration and a happy time of wedding, Jesus is there. And we see his glory and joy, but we also, in chapter 11, the final, the greatest of miracles, overturning death, we see that his glory is seen in grief. His glory is displayed in turning grief into joy. So here's the question for us. Here's the question, and here's the question for me this morning. Do you really believe that Jesus knows what he's doing? Do I really believe that Jesus has got this? Do I really trust the timing of the all-knowing, all-powerful God? And if I really trusted that Jesus knows what he's doing, would I worry and fret like I do? Jesus tarries, but he is not late, and he is not apathetic. He comes, and he comes because he deeply cares. The next thing we see in this passage is not only that Jesus delays, he tarries, but secondly, we see Jesus' truth claim. Look again in these wonderful Easter words, but every Sunday words, every day words, as he approaches, first of all, Martha. He's going to talk one-on-one. He's going to have an encounter one-on-one with first Martha and then Mary. And Martha and Mary are basically going to go up to Jesus, and they're going to say the same thing. And look at how he interacts differently with both of them, okay? So Martha comes first, and let's pick it up in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That was what the Jews of the day believed. There would be a resurrection at the end of time. But Jesus clarifies in verse 25, and he says, Jesus said to her, no, wait, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Notice here that Jesus does not answer Martha's question. 
He does not give her rationale for belief or rationale for why he waited. He doesn't offer answers, but he offers himself. He makes a claim about himself, and he doesn't just say he will be resurrected. He says, no, I am the resurrection. Martha, you don't just come to me so that I can point you to life. You come to me for life. I am the resurrection. I am life. You find life in me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. He doesn't give Martha explanation. He offers himself and he makes this claim that he is the one who brings life, who brings salvation, who brings resurrection for all who believe in him. The reason this is the seventh sign in John's gospel, seven is the number for perfection. The reason this is the seventh sign in John's gospel is because it's the perfect, it's the ultimate sign, resurrection. I mean, think about it. The, the biggest problem that you and I have is not our mortgage, not our marriage struggles, not our worry about our kids, not a relational breakdown, not salary, not taxes. Our biggest problem is death. I mean, when it comes down to it, you can be blind, Jesus has healed that. You can run out of wine. Jesus took care of that problem. You can be a paralytic. Jesus raises the paralytic in John chapter 5. But the ultimate problem, the biggest problem we all have is death. And so far, it's 10 for 10. Everybody who lives dies. And so the biggest problem we have is death. And Jesus is saying here, Jesus is claiming here in miracle number 7, sign number 7, if I can beat this, then I can take care of all those other six. I can take care of all the lesser things. If I can beat death, the ultimate enemy, then guess what? I can handle your problem on Monday morning because of what I did on Sunday morning. It's the ultimate sign. I love, and I've shared this before, but I love this line from Don Carson who says this, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. Cancer could take me out, but Jesus is going to raise me up. I was talking a couple weeks ago, and I didn't even think about this when I asked Jill to read the passage. But as Jill and I were talking a few weeks ago, as she walked through the last days and last hours with her brother who died of pancreatic cancer, one of the things that I remember Jill saying that we talked about for a minute was Jill said, Ross, death is ugly. Death is ugly. It is the enemy. The worst, the biggest problem we have since Genesis 3. And guess what? Jesus, the Son of God, comes into our world, writes himself into the story, enters into our pain to say, guess what? Even the biggest thing, the ugliest thing that, that 
you just watch at the end of life and you think this is just undignified, ugly, terrible, stinky, awful. Jesus conquers it for Lazarus, through himself, and for you and me. And if he can conquer that, what, pro what problem do you and I have today? What problem do you and I have Monday that we can't trust Jesus with? He's not late. He comes and he cares and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. So cling to me, hang on to me, even when it's dark, even when I delay. Hang on and trust me because if I can beat death, everything lesser is taken care of. And greater than that, I think, greater than Jesus' truth claim, I don't want to minimize that at all, okay, don't take me wrong is the third point, and that is Jesus' tears. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Let's memorize John eleven thirty five. We're gonna do scripture memory, let's start there. Jesus wept. But this is perplexing. Perplexing and comforting. Because why would he weep? Why would he weep? Think about it. He's coming again with all knowledge and with all power. Jesus knows I'm getting ready to do a pretty cool trick. I'm going to bring this guy up after he's been dead for four days. Now, if you and I had the power to do that, how would you walk into the scene? Hey, guys, don't sweat it. I got this. Hey, chill. It's going to be okay. But Jesus is perfect. Perfect God and perfect man. So he arrives on the scene, and what does he do? Wave his arm and say, look, look, get ready. Don't be sad, don't be sad. No, he enters into the situation. He comes and enters the pain, and Jesus wept. He gave truth, but he shed tears. What does that mean? It means he cares. It means that he knows death is the enemy. And it means that Christians don't just brush off death or say, hey, get, hurry up and get over it, okay? There's going to be a resurrection. Jesus comes on the scene as a true human, truly God and truly man, and says, this stinks. This is awful. And all those other descriptions that he was deeply moved, that he was troubled Jesus weeps. And notice that he treats each of us uniquely and distinctively. Martha and Mary, again, that same question, right? Hey, Jesus, if you had been here, this, this wouldn't have happened. And for Martha, Jesus leads with what? Truth. But for Mary, he leads how? With tears. And here's the beauty of Jesus. 
Jesus is the perfect counselor. He knows when to give truth, and he knows when to just sit and cry. And he knew perfectly, as the perfect counselor, he knew that Martha needed right in that moment to hear truth, and he knew that Mary needed tears. He's the perfect counselor. He knows what each of us need in the exact time that we need it, and the exact dose that we need it. He enters into our pain and feels our pain, takes it upon himself, acts. Because each of us know, how do we know that God cares? How do we know that God loves us? Well, the only, no, the only way we know that someone really cares, that someone really loves us, is not, not by what they say, that helps, okay? But if they act on that love, right? If they do something, if they show up to help you move from one apartment into another, if they help you with a situation that you're financially strapped and it's that love that moves into action that shows you this person cares for me. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't just shout from heaven, I love you, but he enters into the pain. He cries. He shows his love. He demonstrates his love to Martha and Mary. He cries with them. He enters in. And it's only in Christianity that we have a God who enters into pain. How do we know God cares for us? Because in Jesus, he came down into the muck. He came down into the pain. He cried. He shows that he cares. But it's only in Jesus that you have that kind of God, a God who cries. A God who cries. And what a wonderful comfort it is to know that in our pain, he knows it and he cries with us. He sees He comes and he cries with us. That's the compassion, the gentleness, the love of Jesus. I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, and I care. I care about you. So another diagnostic question. What would be different? What would it really be like if I really believed that Jesus loved me? What it would be like if I truly, authentically, deeply, experientially knew that Jesus loved me? like Lazarus and Mary and Martha knew. So the greatest verse in the Bible that almost everyone knows in this world, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Everybody knows that verse, but what goes from John three sixteen to my heart is a different story. I know God loves the world. Okay. But does God love me? Does he see me? Does he see the mess that I'm going through? Does he care right now? And the answer and the hope, brothers and sisters, is that he came to the mess. 
so we have a tradition of putting little Truett, who's going to be three in a month or so, to bed, and we read a book, and we sing a song, and we pray with him, and lately, to be honest, it's been like, no, well, mommy put me night-night. Do you love me? It hurts. But here's one of the things as we, this has been going on for quite a while now, but as I would sing Jesus Loves Me to Truett, one night I just began to change the words instead of singing the refrain, yes, Jesus loves me. I put his name in it. And so now he always wants me to sing, yes, Jesus loves Truett. Yes, Jesus loves Truett. Sing it with my name. And you know what you and I need? To hear our name. To know Jesus sees and he cares. And he loves me. He loves the world and he loves me. What would it be like if you really believed Jesus has got this? He knows what he's doing. And what would it be like if you and I truly believed Jesus loves me? Jesus loves me. There's an astrophysicist named Neil deGrasse Tyson. Maybe you've heard of him. Astrophysicist, public intellectual, describes himself as an agnostic. Tyson says he's never seen convincing evidence that God exists. Never seen it. And a few months ago on Twitter... He wrote this, the universe is blind to our sorrows and indifferent to our pain. Have a nice day. The universe is blind to our sorrows and indifferent to our pain. Have a nice day. Why would he say that? Because it's the perfect response to his worldview. There's no meaning, there's no sense, there's no good ending to the story. But if you and I truly believe in Jesus, we know that the creator of the universe is not indifferent to our pain or blind to our sorrow. He sees, he cares, and he comes to us and brings new life. Do you believe him? Do you trust Jesus? We can. Oh, how he loves you and me.
Let's pray. Father God, we confess that often um, it does seem senseless. It does seem merely tragic with no conclusion, with no hope. And yet we confess in small ways and deep within our hearts this morning that you're not indifferent that you care deeply, care so much that you would take place, trade places with Lazarus, trade places with us, that you would go to a cross and be placed in a tomb, that you would die so that we don't have to ultimately die. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you have sent him, that he loves us, that he came to us, that he bore our punishment and he conquered our sin and death through his resurrection three days later. And we pray, Father God, please, Holy Spirit, give us faith to wait on you, to trust you, and help us to know by experience your great love and power. Oh, help us, God. We believe you. Help us to believe you more. We love you. Help us to love you more. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray.